0: All right. Uh, Youth group, if you're still in here, get out. In Jesus' name, we love the youth group. In the back, right? They love to be in the back, too. Pray for Chris today as he ministers the word to the youth. So, um, hey, it is great to see you guys this morning. Um, You know, as Hannah was mentioning, those Thanksgiving uh, meal blessing bags, um, we're so excited. Lots of people are participating in that. We have lots of bags being prepared. Um, And I just want to mention again, if you're here... As part of our CCMV family, and you need a bag this Thanksgiving, please come to us and let us know. We don't want anybody without a Thanksgiving meal, and we want to take care of our church body first, and then we've got some places that we're going to bless in the community as well with our extra bags. But if you're here and you're in need, um, please don't let that need go unknown. Talk to a prayer counselor grab one of the pastors and let us know and we will make sure you're um, taken care of. Um, David is ready. If you don't have a Bible this morning, you're going to need one. So you can raise your hand. We'll give you one to use. And if you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love to give you one to take home. Anybody for a Bible? Anybody? Bibles going once, going twice? No Bibles this morning. <laughs> hey, um, Tomorrow, of course, uh, is Veterans Day. Um, do we have any veterans here with us? I know we've got a couple. Yeah, Dr. Verne. All, all right. Very good. Well, we, uh, we're so thankful to you guys and to all the veterans for your service. We want to honor you and just thank the Lord for you. Amen. 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 So, hey, turn to Acts chapter 4. We're going to look uh, this morning at a relatively short passage But I think an important one, we're gonna look at verses 23 through 31. And as you're turning there, certainly, you know, we all have our own unique ways of coping with stress and dealing with difficulty kind of when the going gets tough. And in fact, there are no shortage of suggestions available out there what to do when the going gets tough. You know, when the going gets tough, the tough are supposed to what? Get going. Right? I also found that the tough are supposed to take a coffee break, is another one. When the going gets tough, some go and get a librarian, apparently. When the going gets tough, the tough go shopping, right? We all know that. I actually found that when the going gets tough, the tough do Zumba, so, and I know we have a couple Zumba instructors here. Michelle and Ruby are both Zumba instructors, so if the going is tough and you need to do some Zumba, you can do that. Finally, I found this week that if, when the going gets tough, that the tough quit is another option apparently. Now, I'm not sure about you, but of all of those solutions, and some which weren't sort of fit to share at church, but of all those solutions, I'm looking for a little bit more. And last week, you know, we we saw the Lord as he very supernaturally provided Peter and John and that healed lame man. He provided them with courage and with faith and with wisdom in that moment uh, before the Jewish Sanhedrin, right? That crisis point when they were there on trial. And yet what we're going to see this morning is what they did after the crisis had passed in the face now of this this new opposition. And what we're going to see, for those of you that are list makers, we're going to see at least 10 different things, if I counted correctly, 10 different things that the early church did as the going got tough. And they're all things, of course, that we as well can and we should do when we face difficulty. So let's just ask the Lord to bless uh, his word to us this morning father we do thank you lord for this morning and lord we want to thank you lord in prayer for our veterans that are here as part of the church family we want you to bless them lord for their service we want to honor them lord we ask you to bless them lord we're so thankful lord uh, it's a, a debt of gratitude that we can't possibly repay and so we ask you lord to do that for us Um, We pray, Lord, this morning as we go to your word, that you would be our teacher, Lord. We pray that you would uh, illuminate the scriptures to us in a way that only your spirit can, Lord, and that the teaching ministry of your spirit would be manifest today, Lord. Speak to your people, we pray, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we remember the way in our text last time that those religious leaders had kind of staged this scene of power and intimidation. They had Peter and John placed right there in the midst of what we said were the most powerful men in all of Israel. And we saw them questioned about what they had done and in whose name they had done this thing. And then we watched the way the Lord intervened. Right. He filled them afresh with his spirit. He worked mightily through Peter and John and this lame man to provide a witness right, and a, a testimony. And it left the council confounded. Remember, they were unable to dispute the miracle. They couldn't dispute the power that was behind it. And all they could do was to threaten Peter and John with this official order in an attempt to just silence their witness. So now at this point, as we pick up, the proceedings have concluded. The verdict has been given. The sentence, if you will, has been passed. And we pick up in verse 23 of Acts chapter 4. And it says, In being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So released by their enemies, here Peter and John go immediately back to their fellow believers. And this is actually the very first of the things that we should do when the going gets tough. Notice they didn't go into hiding, they didn't go into isolation, they didn't run for the hills or go back to the world. But when the going got tough, the tough sought out godly fellowship. And I don't think that we could possibly overemphasize the importance of this simple starting point. Because truth be told, if we're honest, We can all have a tendency at those times when the pressure mounts and when things are coming down, we all have a tendency to pull away, right, and to isolate ourselves. And yet those are precisely the times when we actually need to press in. And there's no question that the the troubles that we each face in this world are as many as they are relentless, even aside from any kind of organized opposition like the disciples we're experiencing here. Just in the course of our daily lives, we worry and we grieve and we we stumble and we strain under the weight of just those daily things that that are our duties. And then suddenly we can be assaulted with adversity when we least expect it, and we're standing there seeing alone right we're totally overwhelmed by the weight and yet within the christian community paul exhorts us in galatians chapter 6 to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of christ and so when someone staggers we should be there to help to steady that load. And if they're straining, we should be there to help them bear the burden. And if they stumble, we should be there to help pick them up. And these are the, the blessings and these are some of the benefits of living in community with other believers, to have a group of like-minded individuals who can encourage us toward the Lord, who can help to infuse the Lord back into our situations and help us maybe adjust our perspective in first thessalonians 5 paul writes that we're to comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing and notice that pastor paul's emphasis isn't that we simply take comfort but specifically that we each are giving comfort and imagine if we all as Christians had a heart to comfort each other, what would happen? Everybody would be comforted. We'd all be comforted. And he also says there we'd be edified in the process. And we see that this is a function for each one of us to fulfill as we all participate together in this process within the local church body. right? So when the going gets tough, first and foremost, the tough should seek out godly Fellowship. So here are Peter and John. They are faced with really some deep danger, right? The reality as they looked ahead to the troubles that they knew were bound to come down upon them. And they went immediately to their fellow believers. And once they were there, once they were there amongst the brethren, Luke says that they reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. Now, Luke doesn't exactly record what Peter and John reported. And yet we know enough to know that the facts themselves were not very encouraging. Right? They had just been arrested by the temple guard and dragged from the temple courts, dropped into jail for the night, and then pulled out of jail by the Sanhedrin, plopped down there in the midst of them, intimidated and threatened by the Jewish high court, who had ordered them basically to cease and desist. Right from either teaching or even speaking in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, those are the facts. Right, The opposition against the early church had officially commenced, Right, seemingly out of nowhere. And yet, I also have to suspect, and I think based on what we'll read as we continue on in the text, I think that in addition to just reporting those parts of their experience... In addition to what men had done to them, I think Peter and John were likely quick to relay what God had done for them. So we can probably picture them saying, hey, the Lord protected and he preserved us and he provided this opportunity for us to preach Jesus and he filled us with his spirit. He gave us insights into the scriptures and he confounded them through our testimony and he allowed them to see that we had been with Jesus and ultimately God was glorified. Now those also are all facts, right? But what a different picture this paints. What a different perspective in the face of this newfound opposition. But I think it's an encouragement to us that when the going gets tough, the tough should see their circumstances through the lens of heaven. And talk about a shift, right? when we're looking at a situation that seems hopeless or when we're looking at a storm that's threatening to overwhelm us or a crisis that appears like it's going to have no end, we need to try to just stop and to breathe and to focus on what the Lord did, maybe what the Lord is doing or even what the Lord might be doing through all of this because when we do, it provides us with hope. And when we can do that, in the midst of this upheaval and confusion, it drives us right back to the throne of heaven. Because look next at the reaction of the believers when they heard from Peter at John. It says in verse 24 that when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord. So let's pause right there because what we see is that when the going got tough, the tough didn't panic. What did they do? They prayed. And they did it with this beautiful sense of unity, right? What the enemy had meant to create confusion and fear, the spirit used instead to create this peace and unity. And I say that because we know that there were a number of people praying in this room, and yet the word voice is specifically in the singular which gives us this idea that they all just didn't pray individually at the same time. But more so one person prayed at a time. And then everyone else around was able to agree with them. Right? To say amen to their prayers. And so they were really praying with one voice. Which also tells us that they were praying out loud. Which I know is a scary thing. Right? For us to do. To pray in groups or to pray out loud. But I think this is a reminder, not just of the power of corporate prayer, which we talked about a couple weeks back, but I also think I would suggest that it reminds us as well of the importance and the effectiveness of vocal prayer. And here's what I mean by that. It is certainly very possible for us all to pray silently, right, to pray in our minds, you know, by ourselves, but there is something altogether different that happens when we pray out loud even when we're all alone. Because what we find is that we're able to focus our thoughts and we're able to really fix our hearts more effectively when we speak out in our prayers. And I don't know about you, but I know for me, I so often find when I try to pray silently that I sometimes end up silently drifting off to sleep. right? (laughs) Or at least wandering around in my thoughts and yet there's something about when I force myself to verbalize my prayers it makes me think through what it is that I'm feeling it makes me think through what it is that I'm actually thinking and to put those things into sentences and though they're not beautiful sentences in the King James version with the these and the and you know they're not done in some sort of a pious prayer voice you know (laughs) what they are is these words are an accurate effective expression of my heart so if you've never done that let me encourage you to try it sometime try it when you're driving down the road right try it as you're walking around the block try it when you're sitting in the kitchen if you need to put some headphones on so people think that you're talking to somebody on the telephone whatever you need to do try it There's such power in prayer. I think it's super ironic. You know, we looked last week at this gathering of the Sanhedrin. We said they were the most intellectual and the most influential and the most powerful men of all Israel. But without question, I think that the greatest presence of power in Jerusalem that day was right here. It was right here in the prayer meeting that followed the trial. And as we continue and we watch the believers pray together, we're going to see that this, though short, it is one of the truly great prayers recorded in the Bible. It's a great example for us to follow and not just as a great pattern for prayer, but I think more so kind of as a prescription for power or a prescription, if you will, for peace. Because when the going gets tough... Look at the way they begin. It said that they raised their voice to God in one accord. Then continuing in verse 24, they said, Lord, you are God who made heavens and earth and the sea and all that is in them. So when the going got tough, the tough began by reminding themselves of exactly who they were praying to. They were praying to the Lord of all creation to the God of all power. And after all, guys, if the Lord is our Father, if he's the Lord of heaven and earth, then what in the world do we possibly have to be afraid of? This is a great way to start our prayers. We see that Nehemiah did this when he approached God. We see the psalmists do this. We see the prophet Isaiah did this. Years later, Peter would encourage the believers in his first epistle to commit themselves to their faithful creator. And I love in Jeremiah 32, Jeremiah prays, "'Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth "'by your great power and outstretched arm.'" There is nothing too hard for you. So when we're feeling pressured or when we're being threatened, it is always such a good idea to start our prayers by remembering and even reminding ourselves of exactly who we're talking to. Because sometimes our problems can seem so big and they seem so insurmountable until we start really to worship and then we remember exactly who he is, right? He's the creator of all things. And therefore, if he's the creator of all things, he is far bigger than any creature that is trying to come against us and upset us. And notice, not only did they acknowledge, acknowledge him as the creator of all things, but also sort of as the controller of all things. The word they used for Lord is not the normal word for Lord that we find in the New Testament, but it's a very special word which means the sovereign Lord. It means the absolute master who is in control of all things. And it was a word specifically that they would use of a ruler who has power that cannot be questioned. And so at those times when we're facing opposition or we're even undergoing persecution, we're being attacked by this group or we're being treated unfairly by that person, it is good to know that the sovereign Lord, whose authority cannot be questioned, it's good to know that he's on our side. Amen? This is why the Apostle Paul could write to the Romans and ask that if God is for us, who can be against us? And there's a story about the reformer Martin Luther as he, of course, was facing persecution from the church at Rome. And a messenger had come from the pope and was sent to threaten Luther at what would come if he kind of continued in the course that he was on. And the messenger warned him that ultimately, in the end, he would be deserted by all of his supporters. And the messenger asked, well, where will you be then? And Luther replied, he said, Then, as now, I will be in the hands of God. And for Christians, he who is for us will always outnumber they that there are against us. And when we pray, we can so easily forget who it is that we're praying to. Worse yet, so often we can pray and we find ourselves praying to some sort of imaginary God that we've created in our heads that is far less powerful and he's far less for us than our God of the Bible actually is. So the disciples had power in prayer because they knew who they prayed to and they had confidence because they knew that God was in control. So we see they prayed to the sovereign Lord, they prayed to the all-powerful creator who, it says in verse 25, by the mouth of your servant David, Have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. So not only did they know exactly who they were praying to, but the early church knew precisely what to pray. Because when the going gets tough, the tough pray the scriptures. Notice that their praying was based solidly on the word of God. And in this case, Psalm 2. The spirit of God brought to their minds this marvelous prophecy of this Psalm of David. From which the believers understood that they should expect exactly this kind of opposition. And that they shouldn't be troubled by it. Because God was in control of everything. And the rebellious attempts of man were futile in the face of it. Now we heard the whole thing read this morning during our worship time. But let me encourage you to go back and read that psalm again. Because it is a tremendously encouraging psalm in times of trial. Because man can do his worst. But God's plans will always prevail. And interestingly, just in this first part of the psalm that they quoted, that word that's translated "their rage, as in what the nations are trying to do against God, it's kind of humorous. It's actually a very special word that describes the neighing of wild horses. And the picture is that they can trample and they can toss their heads and they can use all their power to try to oppose the master. But in the end, that horse is going to accept the discipline of the bit and the reins. In the very same way, we look around us and we can see that men can make their defiant, rebellious attempts against God. They can shake their fists at God all they want, but in the end, it's God's will that will be done. Now, isn't there some comfort just in knowing that the things that we're experiencing weren't at all a surprise to God, but they're foreseen in the pages of the scriptures? So they're saying, you know, you told us, Father, to accept, uh, expect this. You told us that the heathen would try to come against you and come against your people. And so when we pray according to the principles that we find in the scriptures, we can be assured that we're praying in accordance with the heart of God and even sometimes in accordance with the will of God. And at those times when we're in deep conflict Maybe we need to pray the principle. Maybe we need to be reminded, as it says in Ephesians 6, that we do not wrestle against what? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Behind every practical struggle that we are going through, there is a spiritual reality. There's a spiritual cause that is working itself out before us in this world. And notice next, the, the church to here didn't just pray according to these principles. But look what they do next. They've just quoted Psalm 2, right, about what it is that those who are rebelling against the Lord do. And now they continue in verse 27. They say, for truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. So notice that not only did they pray according to the principles in the word generally, but when the going got tough, they saw their specific circumstances in the scriptures. And then they made application of that To their own lives. Now understand, prophetically, this psalm specifically points forward to the time when Christ will return to set up his kingdom and when the kings and the rulers of the earth then will still seek to stand up against his authority. But the early Christians, here through the ministry of the Spirit, they saw that their situation was exactly similar. And so they rightly applied the the words of David to their own circumstances. They identified their adversaries as Herod and Pilate and the Romans and the Jews and that had all ganged up against the Lord Jesus and crucified him. And yet they knew that God had raised him from the dead and enthroned him in heaven. And they saw that this had all been a part of God's perfect plan. And so there was nothing to fear understand that one of the specific ministries for us of the Holy Spirit is to unlock our understanding of the scriptures. And part of the reason he does that is so that we start to see that the scriptures do speak not just to our lives generally, but they speak to our situations specifically. To the Corinthians, Paul wrote that we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. He says, but the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually Discerned. And I don't know about you as the Spirit is working this ministry in you. There's something so powerful about seeing our situation in the pages of the scriptures. You know, as we read about the the struggles of the Jewish people, we read about their wilderness wanderings, we read about their conquest of the promised land, we read about all the saga of the kingdom years and the heartfelt cries of the psalmists or the wisdom of Solomon, or we look in the gospels at the way that people responded to Jesus, of course, here in the book of Acts, or we think about all the instruction that's offered in the epistles, or we think about Jesus as he's revealed in the revelation and all of it is intended for our instruction because we should see ourselves on each and every page through each and every individual that's written about because their past history is our present story and the ways in which the lord ministered to them and he showed up for them the ways that he showed himself strong on account of them are the very same ways that we can count on he'll do for us. So think about a time maybe when you're wrongly accused. You can think of Joseph, right, in Genesis chapter 39, and you think about the ways that the Lord used even that unfairness to advance Joseph and to use him in mighty ways. Or those times when we're distressed and depressed and we're at the end of ourselves, we can think of Elijah, right? First Kings chapter 19, as he despaired, and you remember the way that the Lord met him and he strengthened him by revealing himself to him in a special way. Or there are those times maybe when we feel like we've been betrayed by our most trusted friends and we think, of course, of King David, in 2 Samuel 15, when he was abandoned by Ahithophel. And then we can read Psalm 55, which is the psalm that David wrote out of that experience. And you see at the beginning of that psalm, he cries out, he says, My heart is severely pained within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling have come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. And we've all been there, haven't we? But then after bearing his heart to the Lord, by the time you get down to verse 16, he says, as for me, I will call upon God. He says, and the Lord shall save me. And then by the end of the psalm in verse 22, he says that we should all cast our burdens on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. So all of these experiences of these early saints are recorded for us and they produce promises for us because God doesn't change, right? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so even further, when the going gets tough, not only should we pray the scriptures, not only should we see our own situation in the scriptures, but we can also pray the promises of the scriptures, right? When we need strength we can pray according to Ephesians chapter 3 that he would grant us according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with his might through his spirit in the inner man. So the early church in these first days, they were learning what we need to know as well, that God's word will speak both generally and uniquely into our situations and here specifically because they saw all of their circumstances in light of God's word what they recognized was that the wrath of man could never operate outside of that sphere of God's control See, they concluded that the enemies of Jesus had only done, what did they say there in verse 28? The enemies of Jesus had only done whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. What a realization, right? The enemies of Jesus could only do whatever the hand of God had allowed and according to the purpose that he had already planned. Because again, number eight, when the going gets tough, the tough can rest In the will of a sovereign God. Remember, most recently we saw that even though this council had been convened by the enemies to try to stop the spread of the gospel message, we said before that all it actually accomplished was to bring glory to God and to empower and embolden the disciples to spread the message more. So always try to remember that God doesn't always just stop the storms. Right, that come against him or that come against his people. But more often, God will will ride upon those storms and he'll work through those storms and he'll do that very same thing in each of our lives. So whatever, you know, that loss that you've experienced or that diagnosis that you're dealing with or that conflict that you are embroiled in, understand, God didn't cause those things Those things are likely a natural result of simply living in a sinful fallen world. But while the Lord didn't cause those things, he has allowed those things into our lives and he's using those things to accomplish his will in us. And that's to draw us closer to him and ultimately, as Paul wrote to the Romans, to conform us into the image of his son. All of the things that God allows in our lives, right, little by little, trial by trial, day by day, are conforming us into the image of Jesus. And when we understand that, right, there is such an incredible peace that comes to us knowing that whatever comes our way could only come our way because it first passed through the hands of our loving Heavenly Father. And he will absolutely not allow even the most wicked things that men can do to result in any kind of permanent damage to his purposes or to his children. So having faith in a sovereign and loving God is such a tremendous encouragement to us as God's people to just keep serving the Lord even when things get difficult. So here, believing that the Lord had allowed this opposition, knowing that the Lord would use it, next they pray in verse 29, they say, now Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. So here they're strengthened in their spirits. They're praying according to the word of God. They're praying according to the will of God. They didn't pray that they would have a break from the persecution, but they prayed that they would have boldness in the midst of the persecution. And that's the kind of prayer that always prevails. They didn't pray for their circumstances to be changed. They didn't pray to have their enemies removed but they asked God to empower them that they could make the best of the circumstances they were in and to accomplish the things that he had already determined needed to be accomplished because when the going gets tough number nine the tough pray for God's will not their own will so in the word God speaks to us and he tells us what he wants us to do And in prayer, we speak to him and we make ourselves available to do it. So true prayer isn't us telling God what to do, but it's us asking God to do his will in us and through us. Could there be any better example of this than Jesus himself, of course, on the night before his crucifixion, as he agonized there in the garden and he prayed, Father... If it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, what? Not my will, but yours be done. So when the going gets tough, the tough pray for getting God's will done on earth, not getting man's will done in heaven. So we see that their prayer isn't for their own preservation. Isn't it kind of ironic? They ask for more boldness. They ask for more power. Effectively, they are asking for more trouble right? Did you notice that? Because they're asking for things that they know would lead to more confrontation, not less. Because what is it they had initially gotten into trouble for? For being used by God in this miraculous healing of the lame man, and now they were asking specifically for more of that to happen. So they didn't ask for protection, they asked for power. And they didn't call fire down from heaven to try to destroy their enemy, but they were asking for power from heaven to preach the word and to heal the sick. And I love this prayer because it is a prayer that's consumed with God's will. It's consumed with God's glory, and it's not consumed at all with the comfort or the convenience of the disciples. And did you notice that the emphasis here is on the hand of God at work in the lives of the early believers, not on the hand of man at work for God? And this, I think, is an important distinction because true believing prayer, all that it really does is it releases God's power to us and it enables God's hand to start to work through us. I love the way the one author put it. He wrote, do not pray for easy lives, Pray to be stronger men and women. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers, but pray for powers equal to your tasks. So that's the way the early Christians prayed. And it's the way that God's people should still be praying today. Because this is the kind of prayer that God will always delight to answer. So much so, in fact, look what happens in verse 31. It says that when they had prayed... The place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So here as a sign of God's agreement with their prayer, here the Holy Spirit who'd come upon them at Pentecost as a mighty rushing wind, here it says it actually shook the place where they were gathered together, as they were all immediately filled again with the Holy Spirit. Now, once again, at the risk of beating this already poor dead horse, right, there's one baptism into the body of Christ, but there are multiple fillings to provide power, not only for daily living, but for all the new ministry that God wants to do for us. Notice they had just asked that they would receive boldness not so they could speak again in tongues but what did they want to speak now they wanted to speak the word of god remember the the purpose of the empowering of the spirit isn't always that we would just experience some sort of a miraculous manifestation in worship the the end goal is not holy spirit goosebumps Right? The purpose of the power of the Spirit, at least according to what the Bible teaches, is that we might be bold witnesses for Jesus, just as he said we would before he ascended to heaven. And interestingly, as we continue studying the, the church here in the book of Acts, we're going to see there are seven specific times when it says that believers were said to be filled with or full of the Spirit, And we need to note quickly why they were filled. In chapter 2 and earlier in this chapter and then here, we see that they were filled for speaking. In chapter 6, we're going to see they're filled for serving. Chapter 11, for shepherding. Chapter 13, for rebuking. In chapter 5, we're going to see that they're filled with the Spirit for dying. And what we see about that comprehensive list is that in each case, the goal was the witness for and the testimony about Jesus Christ. It was in telling others about Jesus. And in fact, the word there for boldness in verse 31, which came with the filling, literally it means a lucid and daring statement, but in the, in the Greek, apparently it has the sense of telling it all, telling everything. So number 10, when the going gets tough, the tough tell it all. Amen? And oh, how we need power in heaven to help us, empower us to tell it all about Jesus. Because if we're honest with ourselves, isn't it so true that we can so often deliberately hide the work of God in our lives from others who would actually benefit from hearing about it? Now, I can see the looks of disbelief and shock on your face, and you're saying, no, I would never do that. Well, how about over any given weekend when the Lord does something powerful in your life. Maybe it's a weekend where you're up at a retreat or you're away at a conference or you're just here in a Sunday service. Or maybe it's in your morning devotional times or maybe it's a Saturday prayer walk that you've taken and you are so filled up and you're so ministered to. You know, it's one of those times when the Spirit just seemingly unlocks something powerful in you and it kind of takes things to the next level for you. And then you show up at work on Monday morning, right? And a coworker in the coffee room casually asks you, what did you do this weekend? And you say, eh, nothing, right? Nothing? Really, you did nothing? And you're saying, yeah, but they wouldn't understand, right? They're not believers. Well, no, they're probably not believers. Why would they be? So we need to pray that God would grant us the boldness to tell it all for Jesus. Now, I'm not suggesting that you drag out your Bible and you take them through some five-point study about what happened to you on Sunday. But what I am suggesting is that we go ahead and share something. After all, they asked, right? I remember years ago, I heard Pastor John Corson share something so encouraging. And what he said he does is that as he goes about his day, he just treats everyone he comes in contact with as though they were a fellow Christian. He just treats them as though they were a born again believer in Jesus. So when the clerk at the gas station asks Pastor John how he's doing, he can answer, Well, you know, brother, I'm so blessed. You know, the Lord is really doing some exciting things in my life right now. He's revealing himself to me in these powerful new ways. And how about you, brother? What's he doing in your life? That was a terrible John Corson. I apologize for that. But... Now, I get, I get that this probably works best if you are John Corson, right? But I think that the idea is something that we can all kind of adopt And that's that we don't be afraid to tell it all. Don't be afraid to be a little bit excited about Jesus. Because if we're not excited about the Lord that we know, how can we ever expect anyone to be excited about getting to know him? But as we finish, I want to make this daunting assignment just a little bit easier. Because notice in the text that for these believers, this boldness was a gift that came from God. Did you notice that? They asked for it in prayer, and God gave it to them as he answered that prayer. This wasn't something that they had to work up in and of themselves. And in that very same way, God is not asking, God is not expecting for us to work ourselves up to be witnesses for him. He's expecting that it be his power working through us. And it's so very powerful. Have you noticed just as far in this book as we've seen the Holy Spirit move in these different descriptions of the manifestations of the spirit? Remember back in chapter one, he was described as this mighty rushing tornado like wind and then these tongues of flaming fire. And here we have the shaking of the earth. We know that Jesus described the Holy Spirit back in chapter seven of John as torrents of living water that would flow out of a person. And all of these are physical expressions of a a spiritual power that is present and is absolutely available to each one of us. Especially when the going gets tough. Because when the going gets tough, that's when he will empower us to do these 10 things. Our top 10 things to do when the going gets tough. To seek out godly fellowship and to see our circumstances in the lens of heaven. To pray and not panic. To remember who we pray to. To pray the scriptures and to see our circumstances in the scriptures. To pray the promises of the scriptures. To rest in the will of a sovereign God. To pray for God's will, not our will. And to tell it all. Amen? Amen. That's enough, I think. Father, we thank you so much for this morning and we thank you lord for the way that you speak to us lord we thank you for the way that you empower us lord that uh, even confronted with a list of things lord that we're supposed to do when the going gets tough lord we know that you don't leave us to do those things alone lord but it's by the power of your spirit that you equip and that you enable us to do them and so father we pray lord for the filling of your spirit lord we pray for a just a fresh sense of the work that your spirit wants to do in our lives. Lord, we do pray for that boldness, Lord, that we would tell it all, Lord, that we would tell all about the things that your son Jesus has done for each one of us. Lord, that we wouldn't be ashamed tomorrow morning as we head to work, Lord, and that we would just, um, Lord, in our own way, just bear witness with the work that you're doing in us. And so we thank you, Lord, and we praise you. We do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and let's worship the Lord.